Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today's unusual topic is called the message of the blue apple. My guest is Ray Stanford, a most unusual individual. Ray is the identical twin brother of the distinguished parapsychologist Rex Stanford. I've known Ray and Rex since 1974 when I invited both of them to speak together at a symposium in Berkeley, California. Ray has had an unusual career as a trans-channeler, as a psychic, as a distinguished UFO researcher, and as a paleontologist. In fact, the Washington Post Sunday Magazine ran a cover story about him called The Amazing Dino Man because of all of his remarkable paleontological discoveries. This interview about the blue apple will give us some unique insights into Ray's life experience and his character. He describes it as the most precious incident of his life. This interview was recorded in the Washington, D.C. area after Rex Stanford died last summer. I realized that there would be a limited opportunity for me to interview Ray, so I made a special trip to the Washington area to record his reflections and memories, and this will be the first of a series of interviews recorded in his home, and I'll Turn over to that video now. You were telling me the story of the blue apple. Actually, here I'm going to pan because it's right above you. Right. Let me just let our viewers see. The actual painting is right there. I'm going to zoom in on it for a moment. Of course, I'll have an electronic copy, which will be even better. But here it is right in your living room. And if I recall correctly, the story begins uh, in sometime in the 1960s, one of your very first experiences channeling. Uh, you were in a meditation group at the time. Yes. Uh, that I believe that was in 1961. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was basically a meditation group. And I, I tell you the truth, I don't remember after all these years exactly how it began to work. Uh, we were getting so-called psychic information from me. I, I'm not sure that I expected it, yeah. but I'm not, I don't know if it was unexpected either. But anyway, uh, it was a group, uh, un- involving only, um, uh, one, two, three, four people. That includes me. And, uh, one was a, a, a chiropractic doctor by the name of Dr. Evelyn McGee. And one was a chiropractic doctor by the name of Brooks Lindley. And the third was the, fellow that would shortly be getting his chiropractic doctor degree, uh, uh, William Gaston, Bill Gaston, and, uh, and myself, of course. And, uh, uh, anyway, uh, let me, let me say in, in preface that it is kind of, uh, it feels kind of odd to even be talking about this here. I'm well known for my, for one for my parent, uh, 
for my um, uh, for my research into things from the age of dinosaurs, paleontology, and, and paleontological work. But I'm also well known for my attempt to and success at getting instrumented recordings of UFOs. And of course, these are, are purely scientific orientations. But I was very young. I mean, I was born in 1938, and here we were in 1961. I, I don't recall exactly how old that makes me. Uh, 23, 24. Maybe so. And uh, uh, I was open-minded to psychic phenomena uh, because my uh, maternal grandmother uh, had showed various signs of being quite psychic, but she didn't make anything of it. She didn't even ever use the words, as far as I know. But, you know, when, you, when your grandmother's psychic, it, it, it shows up in certain ways you learn about, and, uh, and so it did. But, so I accepted these things, but I wasn't really expecting anything uh, really highly significant to be, be happening in this meditation group. But for some reason, I began to, in this group, fall into a, an unconscious state, and uh, various things started being said through me. Uh, my unconscious ultimately said that that uh, that you're you're hearing the unconscious of Ray Stanford attuned with those areas of information or individuals with which it is directed by suggestion. Uh, but uh, there were other things too. There were voices that came to me that claimed to be independent. Now, I'm very skeptical. I, I, I doubt these were independent. I, I suspect they they may have come uh, out of my own unconscious, uh, conjuring something interesting uh, to amuse the crowd, so to speak, the crowd of three. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know why it was happening. And not only that, uh, there wasn't anything that really grabs my memory that happened back then, except that, that they were curious and interested and would occasionally ask my unconscious or whatever it was, uh, if it could tell them something about somebody or some situation. And uh, But one night we decided to change the location and have it out on a, a farm uh, where uh, Bill Gaston lived, who has soon become a chiropractor. We decided for some reason to, to go out there and, and have the meditation and see if what would come through, to use the term that, that, that we used at that period. And... Um, in the midst of a so-called reading, as they began to call them, uh, something came through that I'm, I'm not sure to this date whether it was supposed to be my unconscious or it was alleging, alleging to be some other type of, uh, of independent being or entity. But um, it started making, uh, it made a statement that really um, puzzled everybody. And when they told me afterward, I was uh, equally or more puzzled. You didn't even remember what That's took right, place. I didn't remember this stuff. And uh, what happened is, suddenly, uh, uh, my voice, that or whoever voice was allegedly speaking through me, said uh, uh, something to effect, uh, by the way, and he was, it was referring to me, Ray Stanford, uh, he will get the blue apple. And I think Dr. McGee said, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> What's this blue apple business? And this source, my unconscious or whatever, said, why spoil the fun? Wait till it happens. <laughs> and they told me this afterward, and I said, oh, you know, it, it may be just a crock of baloney that came through my unconscious. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know uh, what, what what is a blue apple to start with. And uh, so I guess we left it at that. And that was, as I said, I think that was in 1961,
And uh, eventually, I moved out to Phoenix. That, of course, was down in, in Corpus Christi, Texas, right on the coast of Texas, mm-hmm. where I was brought up. But uh, ultimately, for whatever reasons, I moved out of Phoenix. I became known uh, for giving these these psychic pronouncements and, and readings, in some cases for people physically, or the, to, to help their health. And uh, for, uh, for other reasons, I don't remember all of what we were getting, but uh, uh, I had completely forgotten the Blue Apple business. But for some reason, I had always been interested in art, but um, uh, for some reason, I, well, I happened to a gallery in Scottsdale, Arizona, called the Gallery of Modern Art, I believe. It was run by a very nice lady by the name of Muriel Bergson. And um, uh, it, it, she was having a show of an artist of whom I'd never heard, Carlos Merida, who was a, uh, he was born in Guatemala. He was of actually Mayan blood descent, but uh, he had moved to Mexico City and was living in Mexico for quite some uh, some time. And uh, uh, was rumored to be the most handsome artist, uh, handsome man, they they used to say, in Mexico City. Uh, people have to judge that for themselves, but he was a wonderful, handsome man. But I had never seen him at that point. They had a, a, a folder on him showing a picture of him, and they had some of his works. And uh, I was able to, fortunately, to buy a small Merida painting, and it was highly abstract. I have a picture of it I can provide you of. It was... Uh, uh, it was only about, about so big, but it was called, uh, Los Emelos, which means the twins. Now, I'm an identical twin. And so that had a lot of appeal to me, but it was Merida's work. It was so unique and so different. I was familiar with, with, uh, uh, you, you know, the, the, the social artist, uh, uh, Diego Rivera and, and others, uh, but, uh, and, and, and even some of the more abstract ones, but I'd never heard of Carlos Merida, but I loved his work immediately. But that was it. So I bought this one and took it home, put it on my wall. And uh, uh, then I heard an announcement that excited me. It, it said, as there was uh, in the mail, I received an announcement that in uh, the Phoenix Art Museum, they were having a huge show of Latin American art. And I went and was enjoying the, the huge display. It was sponsored by a group called the Friends of Mexican Art there in Phoenix. And... Uh, 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 so I went into one large room and, and was enjoying the works of various paintings, of, of various artists, I should say. And then I walked into a, a still larger room, and uh, I'll never forget, I came to the east door, and for some reason, instead of just looking around as I normally would, I compulsively turned around and looked back where I'd, the door I'd come to. And to the right of that door was a, a good-sized painting. It's actually the one called the Blue Apple, the larger of the, the, the two images in the photo behind me. Uh, and uh, I, I thought, gee, that is interesting. Carlos Merida, well, I love his work. I, what does he call this? And I walked over and it said, La Poma Azul, in parentheses, the Blue Apple. And I thought, oh my, what in the, the Blue Apple? That's that thing. That's a name that came to the, that reading in 1961, and this is this was in 1964. My fascination that had already built up with Merida uh, magnified immensely. What in the world? Why did he call this the Blue Apple? What does it mean? And not only that, it, uh, the reading said I'm to get the Blue Apple. Well, 
everybody was busy at the big opening that night and and uh, but the next day I called the director of the museum who I had known before and it was very friendly and uh, and I said look uh, there's a painting in the in the show that, that I'd like to buy it's by Carlos Merida and it's called the blue apple and uh, can you tell me how I'd buy that he said you can't I said why not and he said because out of all the paintings the Latin American paintings in the show the friends of Mexican art uh, ask us to choose the one we would like to have for the museum. And uh, I and the board of directors decided the Blue Apple was the one we wanted. And oh boy, oh, uh, uh, I was really disappointed and so on and so forth. He, he said, well, you know, I've got an idea. He said, uh, maybe you should try to find out from the gallery if there was a study for this painting. And... Uh, Maybe uh, that will satisfy your need for the blue apple. And uh, I said, well, I, I hope you're right. I I'll check. Well, I went down to the Scottsdale. I live near, right on the edge of Scottsdale. And uh, I went to the gallery and spoke to Muriel Bergson. And I, I said, look, uh, I want to tell you a strange story. I said, uh, I wanted to buy the blue apple by Carlos Merida. I said, have you seen it? She said, yes, I've seen it. It was a, a larger painting on what was called a polished parchment, parchment. There was a panel of wood that was hollow, that was wooden warp, and he had adhered a, uh, or his technician had adhered a parchment to it, and he didn't paint it on the parchment. And uh, and then they put a some type of acrylic or clear plastic glaze over it so as to protect it. And, uh, uh, but uh, I, I said, you know, I can't buy this thing. They, 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 that's the one they've chosen to be given by the Prince of Mexican Art. And uh, uh, I, I said, so, uh, and, uh, but I was suggesting that it was suggested I asked if there was a study for it. She said, why are you so interested in the Blue Apple? There are other merit of paintings available, including right here at the gallery. And I said, well, let me tell you something. Uh, without going into detail, burn you with a lot of details, but I said, uh, believe it or not, I was told in a psychic reading, I didn't say it came through me, <laughs> that, but 1961, you know, that's nearly three, maybe four years ago, and uh, and out of the blue, without explaining anything, the voice speaking uh, to me uh, said, oh, by the way, he will get the blue apple, and uh, I, I said, uh, I, I don't even know what this means or why I should have it, but uh, that that's what happened, and I, I don't know why I'm even supposed to to have this thing because the the, the one of the chiropractors present asked us, asked my voice, my unconscious or whatever this was, uh, please explain what this is mysterious, and uh, it, it merely said, why spoil the fun? Wait till it happens, until I get the blue apple. But totally surprised, and she said. He said, she said, it's a real coincidence. I'm going to Mexico City tomorrow, and I'm going to be seeing uh, Don Carlos Merida. Uh, Don is just a terror of honor, uh, a term of honor. Uh, and you say, Don Carlos. And, uh, but uh, she said, I'll be seeing him. She said, I'll, I'll ask him uh, if, if he has the study for it still. So uh, she went to Mexico City. And when she got back, she said, well, I, I have some some good news for you. Uh, she said, I told Carlos Merida that, and uh, I, I told him that that you were told this in, 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 a, in a psychic 
by, by, by a psychic, and that, uh, I don't know if she used the word reading or not, but we told this by a psychic, and he said, I must tell you, that young man, he, she told him I was a young man, you know, my twenties, uh, that young man has had a true revelation. And she said, wait a minute, what is this? This happened in 1961, and he says this young man has had a true revelation. He said, uh, he, he must have the study for the Blue Apple, but it's being shown right now in a show uh, at, at a gallery in Chapultepec Park. But he said, I'm going to ask my chauffeur, he was sitting right there, uh, to go down and get it and take it out of the show and take it down to the gallery downtown to a senior Inez Amor's gallery and have her package it up to send to you at your gallery where I have the address and uh, and then you can give it to uh, to this young man. And uh, she said, wow, okay, fantastic. And so she, this is the story she's telling me and she still doesn't know why he said this young man has had a true revelation. So uh, uh, years later, uh, I forget the year off the top of my head, but we have it in the catalog. Uh, the University of Texas decided to put on a big retrospective show called A Salute to Carlos Merida, which thrilled me when I heard about it. And so I went down to the museum and talked to the director. And I said, uh, look, uh, does it, in this show of Carlos Merida, are you going to be having a painting borrowed from the Phoenix Art Museum called The Blue Apple? He said, indeed, we, we do. We, we're going to have that one in the show. I said, would you like to have the study for it? With Carlos Merida coming to town, I was delighted to have them say they wanted to use the study of the Blue Apple along beside, as you can see it here, the uh, the, the full-size Blue Apple. And uh, the thing was, I didn't expect them. I I, I, uh, I brought it down and they, they photographed it. I didn't expect them to... Uh, uh, of all things, you would think if they were going to feature the blue apple, they'd put the, the finished painting on the part, on the part, uh, on, on the front of the, the catalog, Salute to Carlos Merida in color. But no, they, they, they photographed and, and put the study for the blue apple on the front of it, which you can bet that drove me. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, I was just kind of mind boggled. I had also, uh, uh, talked to them. Uh, they said, well, you know, uh, he has given this to you. I didn't. They didn't ask me for the details of why he gave this to me, but uh, uh, they uh, uh, they asked if I had a, a good photograph of Carlos Merida. And uh, as a matter of fact, I had a photo. Once this blue apple story had had occurred, a close friend of mine, a name of John Lucas, there in the Phoenix area, uh, had become so fascinated by this and that he would give this to me. He decided to go to Mexico City, meet Carlos Merida, and ask him, what the heck, why did he give it to him? So he he took a copy of a, of a book that I had written. And this is your Carlos book about the Socorro. About the Socorro UFO incident. Yeah. And uh, and he gave it to him, and he took a picture of him holding it. So that's, uh, but before I, uh, I, I said, you probably don't want to use advertise my book. They published it and trimmed that off, but you can see my name at the bottom of the part of uh-huh. the book. But it's a very nice picture that John Lucas got of Carlos Merida. So uh, I was delighted they included that. And um, once they said they wanted to, me to provide a picture, I said, well, maybe I could provide something else. I said, do you have anything that gives any insight into all these strange names of Carlos Merida's paintings, like Shulu at Arivino? I said, the truth of the matter is, 
He is, he is, he is a full-blooded Mayan, and he has studied the sacred book of his ancient people, the Popovu. And um, uh, I said, that that is where these names come from. But I've studied it in depth, and I'd be happy to write an article for the catalog uh, on the themes and titles of Carlos Merida's works. And uh, he said, we would be delighted because that's needed since he, so many of these have these weird uh, uh, names in them. And so I wrote it, and it's in the catalog. But he said, look, Ray, he said, uh, uh, would you, he said, I, I have been asked by the Martha Jackson Gallery, a most famous gallery, a top-level gallery in New York City. They're, ha- they're having a show of Carlos Merida. And uh, I've been asked to to come and give a talk on Carlos Merida because I have the show here at the University of Texas. He said, but I don't know anything about him. <laughs> Compared, he said, you, you know this man and you, you, you know his de facto Bible, the, the Mayan sacred book. He said, if they accept this, would, would you, would you be willing to talk? I said, yeah, you, you bet I would. Well, he called the director of the Martha Jackson Gallery and they said, yes, we'd be delighted to have him since he's the one that, that, that knows this stuff. And when we, to talk about Carlos Merida. So I accepted it and I flew up there and uh, gave a talk. And uh, at the end of it, an, an elderly general who was uh, quite a bit, a lot older than me, uh, came up. I was still a young man, as I said. And, uh, and he, he said, Mr. Stanford, he stuck out his hand and shook my hand. He said, I wanted to thank you. That is the most intriguing, interesting talk on an artist or his work that I've ever heard in my entire life. I said, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I had no idea who he was. And um, and he he walked off. And the gallery came over and tapped me on the shoulder. He said, Mr. Stanford, don't you know who that man was? And I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, that was Alexander Calder who made that compliment to you. Yeah. He, he's the man who... Uh, who invented uh, mobiles. I said, oh my gosh, wow. So that was well worth mm-hmm. a while, just that. But you haven't told us yet why Carlos Merida said that well, this young man had a well, true revelation. Well, I hadn't gotten to it yet. Uh, okay. uh, that is to say, at the University of Texas, or when I was up there, I didn't know yet. Oh, okay, you're giving it in but chronological order. I got back to Austin, Carlos <clears throat> Merida came for the opening, they had printed the catalog and mm-hmm. everything was in order. And so not only did Carlos Medi to come, but his two daughters, Anna and Alma, came uh, with him. And uh, and the director of the museum said, look, you're the guy that knows this guy, de facto, though you've never met him. He said, would you be the one to be in charge to take them anywhere they want to go or where they need to go and to be their host, so to speak? And I said, I would be delighted. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, that happened, and um, so my wife and I said, uh, uh, "Don't call us. Uh, how would, would you like to come up to our, our apartment? We'd we'd just like to visit and, and uh, talk talk about a few things." And he said, "Oh, sure, we'd be delighted." And so he and his two daughters, Alma and Anna, came up there, and uh, I said, "Look, <laughs> I have a best intentions. You gave me that wonderful study for the blue apple," and uh, I said, uh, "And you said." That young man has had a true revelation when he was told that I was told this by a psychic. But, but, uh, what, uh, why did, uh, you do that? He said, well, he said, he said, this may sound a little crazy to you, but he said, uh, uh, something happened with this in, in doing this that I never had before in my life or, or since. And here's what happened. Uh, 
He said, I was in my studio and I was working on the study that I gave you, the Lou album, of course, before the, the big finished painting. And he said, um, <clears throat> here's what happened. He said, and I'm, you know, I, I feel strange in telling you this because these things don't happen to me, but they did. He said, a presence, someone came into my studio. It, it was, it was like a, uh, a presencia espiritual. It was like a spiritual, but it was a, a being. It was like it was, uh, he said, I don't know. It, it came into my studio and, uh, and, and said, uh, that it must tell me that this had to be named the blue apple, la poma azul. And it, it said, and here's what you must do with this study. You must change it. And if one looks at this study very carefully, at the upper left for the vertical blue pattern is, you can see that he then had already done something and had kind of painted over it. And the, the, the president said, you're to take a piece of paper and you'd cut out three items. And one is the, uh, the, the vertical thing you see there. And one is down below. It looks like a highly stylized head with a circle where the mouth is open as a huge circle. And then there's the one up that, that you see up to the upper right side, the, the actual blue circle up in the hand being held up above. He said, it told me to cut those out and paint them blue. And they, they must be put right where it is said. And it must be called the Pomazu, the blue apple. And he said, Okay. Uh, he said, he said, Ray, let me tell you. He said, I'm an artist. I paint my own paintings. Nobody comes in and tells me how to, to paint a painting or the study of the painting. He said, but it, it was not natural. He said, it, it was supernatural. He said, I don't understand it. How this happened. He said, my, my people believe in supernatural phenomena, my Mayan ancestors. But he said, I, I've not, I've not had anything like this happen. He said, I don't know what this is. But he said, when I heard that the young man had been told by a psychic that he was supposed to have the blue apple, I knew you had to have this. And I sent for it immediately to be picked up out of the shop. And I, I signed it for you. And uh, so we, we sent it to you. He said, that's it. And here's his daughter sitting here, this whole story. Their, their mouths are just dropped open, you know. <laughs> My dad is telling us something weird that we've never heard from him, uh, before. And, uh, but it was thrilling to me, but that, that was, uh, that was the outcome. Now, uh, but there was more to it. Uh, Carlos Merida, uh, uh, I went down there in, in, in a, and all this. I was down there at, uh, if I remember correctly, it was Christmas time or there, thereabouts. Anyway, there was a big uh, party going on of some sort. I don't remember if it was... In, uh, in Mexico City. In Mexico City, City of course. Yeah. And I, w I was down there with my, my wife. So we're there and Carlos Merida's there. And uh, there was just a big crowd and they, they had dancing, music and dancing and so on and so forth. He said, Ray, I, I must talk to you very seriously about something... I said, what is it, Don Carlos? And he said, uh, my wife's nickname was Kitty or Kitty Bo. And uh, he said, you you and Kitty must have children. And I said, well, we've never wanted children. And he said, Ray, you must have children. 
Well, he looked very serious. He walked out. He came back and he said, uh, he said, he said, Ray, he said, you must take this dance with me. Now, and I mean, made clear, he's not gay. It was not a gay thing. It was a Mexico City thing. The kind of thing he doesn't suspect, it doesn't surprise you in Mexico City. And I said, well, here, I mean, he asked whether the man called the most famous, the most handsome man in Mexico, <laughs> one of the most esteemed artists to dance with him. So I guess I'll dance with him, Carlos. Keep, keep his, uh, his old heart happy. And so we started dancing around. And he said, again, Ray, he says, Ray, you and Kitty must have children. And I said, well, you know, as I said, we don't want children. And he said, listen, he said, if you will have children, I will be the godfather of your children. Mm -hmm. uh, well, wait a minute. That sounded like a pretty good offer. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, uh, and we danced around there. He said, I said, he said, Ray, you must tell me that you and Kitty will have children. I will be the godfather. Didn't he also tell you, if I remember from your telling me the story earlier, how important it is to have children? Yes, he said, he said it is very important. I don't remember the details of what he told me, but he did say that. He stressed that, mm -hmm. and uh, it sounded good. So this, I, this is what life is all about. Uh, yes, uh, yes that's it. Uh, I wouldn't want to lose. I, I'm doing, losing a lot of my memory at 84 and a half. I remember you telling me the well, story. Uh, you it was, got <laughs> it <laughs> was so powerful. Yeah, and, and and even when I told you, I remember I remembered the power with which he said it, yeah. that it is so important to life. And um, so... Uh, as a long story of the, uh, so we had children. The first was my daughter. And, uh, when she was, uh, about, I don't know how old, two and a half, I guess, I don't know, uh, we took her down there and he was just thrilled. And you'll be showing a, a yeah. nice photograph of him that, that, I, that I took of, of, uh, him. I, I believe he's kissing my daughter, if I remember correctly. And, um, he was just so thrilled. To, to have these godchildren and see that, and, and eventually I had three children, two sons, and, uh, and, uh, but my daughter's the oldest, and, uh, I wouldn't trade the world for them, but, and I now, and now I have two grandchildren as well. And, uh, just the other day I called up my wonderful eldest son in Austin, and, uh, and I said, do you realize that you wouldn't even exist? Are your sisters? Or, or your, uh, whatever the, whatever my grandchildren are considered to them, uh, none of you would exist if it had not been for that one mysterious night in a little farmhouse <laughs> outside of Corpus Christi, uh, saying he will get the blue apple, and uh, uh, and he said, I know, Daddy, that, that's that's really uh, that's something that's really something to to, to make you think about what life is all about. I, when I think I would not have any children or grandchildren if it were not for this strange event and following through, but when I get to thinking about it, it's not just a thing like somebody's reading your mind and you get a message and it's a good message. This is something that was said in 1961 and across time. Two years later, or at least a one and a half years later, Carlos Merida was painting what ended up being called the Blue Apple, but not because he called it that, because the being that came in the room and told him how to modify the study uh, and uh, it told him to call it that. And it's, it's just, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of, of mind-boggling to just 
just to contemplate this whole yeah. thing happening. But here, two years later, he does what this mysterious presence, as he called it, uh, told him to do. And then four years later, uh, when I discovered that the, uh, the Phoenix Art Museum has discovered the Blue Apple and then asked if there's a study for it, uh, and get it. I mean, here we're stretching a very strange Psi event is tell it. I don't. I don't know how to to describe it. A psi event uh, for over four years, and uh, or, or, or maybe maybe three and a half years, four four years, and then of course we're stretching it into children and grandchildren. Well, there are different ways it could be interpreted, but I'd be inclined to think that it's it's not just a question of precognition. I think it's a your subconscious mind was in touch with a a spiritual entity who had a, a one might say God's eye vision of the future. I feel that way about it. To me, I mean, it's 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 sacred to have this thing, and I, I should add more. I'm not against psychic readings. Uh, and, and because I gave them for years, but it, it, it's that people tend to believe everything, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that's right. You you don't want to give up your own inner nature of feelings if something is contrary to what you uh, uh, feel inwardly. Uh, you must live according to your own heart, not not according to some dictate becomes a subject because they're giving a psychic reading. Yeah. And I, I suspect that in my own psychic readings, although. There are many people, I, I just reread a letter, email the other day from somebody who, who said that I had saved the life of his mother by giving a reading for her when she had cancer and she was healed. But that, that is good. But in other words, it, I, I was, I was really trying to do good and positive things, but I believe that even through me, surely there are probably places where my unconscious got caught in with a lot of fiction I had been believing or, or, uh, Things and so I want to caution people. This because this miraculous thing happens with the blue apple. Don't go believing as if it were gospel. Uh, readings you read from books published on Ray Stanford's readings. Take that feel for the good if you feel what is good there, but reject that if there's parts of it that don't feel like it's uh, that it's right or commensurate with reality. We don't sacrifice our own being an individuality for something because it's merely by uttered by a person who's in an unconscious state or even in a conscious state. We have to let our own heart uh, find its measure and to be comfortable with it. And so I think that is the basic message of the Blue Apple is let the spirit within you manifest itself and blossom uh, beyond the, the, the temple identity and your emotionality and your sexuality and your your whole earthiness uh let it uh, transform and, and and show through you and and be lifted up so to speak so this is about simply about <clears throat> transformation letting mm-hmm. the apple of false identity become spiritualized to the blue apple basically if we, i hope people can understand the the rather two terms i'm using but i think that's the message of the blue mm-hmm. apple and it's amazing how that in a single event like that, one night in a little old farmhouse, it was called the goat house. <laughs> we all had a big, big, huge male goat in a pen out in back mm-hmm. in this farmhouse. And we called it the goat house. And this crazy, amazing statement, he will get the blue apple, mm-hmm. came, uh, came out in that mm-hmm. situation. But and, did that particular voice ever come through you again? Well, I don't know what voice it was. 
all the all the recordings of these things, uh, they were eventually sold to somebody. Mm-hmm. My wife knows who it was, but I think that person has died too. And I have no idea how they would ever be accessible mm-hmm. even. But uh, it to me, she said, it, it came through my unconscious. Uh, I prefer to think that it was some level of my own being in contact and attunement with a bigger, uh, a larger reality and uh, rather than some independent. And yet, on the other hand, a seemingly independent, mysterious entity walked into Carlos Merida's studio and said, look, I'm going to tell you, that's got to be named the Blue Apple and you got to <laughs> do it a certain way. Yeah. I mean, you would think that there was some some, some kind of individual uh, uh individuality, yeah. spiritual individuality. Who was that? What was that? <laughs> I, I don't want to claim it was part of my psyche. I don't think I'm that. <laughs> well, I like to think that the whole universe is conscious. Well, I like that, yes. To me, yes. In, in other words, it's all one in, mm-hmm. in one sense. And we, we divide uh, and uh, in our minds to try to understand. But uh, it. Uh, I know that at, at, at that time, though, it, of course, as you can see, it, it played a very important part. Even having children, you know, that that alters you. That definitely alters you. Yeah. It learns you to be, be more patient and mm-hmm. uh, and loving when you can. And uh, it 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 uh, so it does even does a lot for you for anybody who has children if they have the right attitude. Yeah. It does something positive for them. Well, Ray, that's a wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing it. It's my pleasure. I'm glad. I'm glad the world finally gets to hear it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will be open to to little or big miracles that happen in their lives. And sometimes you don't realize at first. It almost sounded like a joke when the the reading said uh, when when she asked what it means. Said, "Why spoil the fun? Wait till it happens." Yeah. So even that, whatever that was, it also has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So we must remember. To have a sense of humor in life and be able to laugh at it at times, even when it's uh, to laugh, even when we're in the middle of something serious. Ray Stanford, thank you for being with me. That's my pleasure. I really appreciate your asking me. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.